What you mean is that you were right to believe that the coolie must hold something against you. So you did indeed kill someone who might well be harmless. But only because you could not have known that he was harmless. It happens sometimes with our police. They shoot into demonstrating crowds, a harmless crowd, but they shoot because they can only believe that these people are going to drag them off their horses and lynch them. These policemen shoot out of fear, and their fear is that of the reasonable man. What you mean is that you could not have known that this coolie was an exception to the rule. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. The plane's a thing. Hey, friends. Hello, friends. Hello. How you doing? Well. Oh, Siege, that was intense. Wow. I'm fucking great. Jesus. <laughs> Have y'all been seeing any theater recently? L.A. theater? Uh, just small stuff, like I've uh, seen some readings, did a reading, um, some smaller stuff, doing another reading. Uh, but you've seen a show. I did. I saw Oklahoma at uh, the, 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 the Broadway national tour of Oklahoma, exclamation point, uh-huh. um, which is currently beginning its tour, I believe, in L.A. I think we were the start of the tour. I could be wrong. Um, Lucky us. Yeah. So I went to opening night. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh got a comp and i went and i was like okay you know we've covered oklahoma we we trav i think you probably listened to this episode we probably have already had a discussion about it at the bar but we watched the movie oklahoma long ago as a uh, bonus episode it was one of our like pam pick (laughs) and scott chose it and we were all kind of mad at him but then it was fun to talk about um so we were actually quite mad at you, Scott. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I, no, des- I deserved it. No, it's fine. But no, we have to we have to have fodder as much as we have you know good stuff that we all love. Uh, yeah, we gotta have bad stuff too. But I was told by many people that this new Oklahoma was in fact a uh, reclamation. Uh, you know, something that was gonna sort of reinvigorate Oklahoma and bring it back. Um. Yeah, and I was like, can't be done, but sure, let's go. Let's go see it. Right. And, you know, I heard the casting was really um, <clears throat> representative and diverse and interesting and kind of uh, different, and I was like, okay, uh, I'm not going to get too deep into it because I don't want to shit talk too much. Mm. Uh. <laughs> I did leave at intermission. Now, that's not something I often do anymore i used to do it a lot in college because i was really pretentious but now i like i don't do it if a friend is in the show i don't do it if if i know people involved i don't you know like because it's like why would i do that there's no point yeah. i'm here to support but also i don't go to the amundsen i don't go to center theater group shows national tour shows to support the artists necessarily right i go to see theater 
and to like be challenged and to escape and, and to do and, and enjoy yeah, myself. It, and like, it, yeah. If none of that's happening and I've been there an hour and a half and intermission hits and I'm sleepy, I'm going to go home. Now, I had a lot of problems with the directing. <laughs> um, it was, in fact, uh, directed to be in the round um, and was very Brechtian, actually. Huh? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more. Yeah. Um, but we... I couldn't handle it anymore, and I have a, a lot to say about it, and I won't go down that path because it would turn into a whole episode about it. But we can talk more about it sometime, maybe on a on a bonus up. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it on the Wiz Live mm. app coming mm. up because um, there's a lot of musical talk to be had on that. But it's it just wasn't for me, and the director handprints were the biggest issue I had where it just felt like a director being like, and then we're going to change this line to be said like this, even though they didn't change any words. Right. It was all like, we're going to change the intention behind this and make it like this. And it was like, yeah, but you, you can't just do that for every line. It doesn't yeah, add up to anything. Right, just, right. Yeah. So it was um, not good. A lot of people really love it. So I'm sorry uh, that I uh, have a different opinion. than you. One of the uh, tweets that I saw was like, this is sort of a glorious failure in that it doesn't work, but they're trying. They're trying. I just want to know, like, uh, I guess, like, the design is really lazy, in my opinion. A lot of people are like, "No, it's beautiful," and I was like, "It's, it's not. It's oh, the okay, pictures okay. I've seen. I'm, not, I'm impressed by. But... It's lazy. It's lazy. All right. Anyway. Anyway, we're talking theater. We love theater here because it is, in fact, a podcast about theater. So welcome to Theater Theater. Yeah. The theater podcast for theater nerds made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. I'm C.J. Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. And this is part one of three Ooh. of our mini-series <laughs> covering Ooh. the works, three whole Ooh. episodes, covering the works of Bertolt Brecht. Yeah. Grab your right. schnitzel, everybody. And grab grab your schnitzel. schnitzel. It's your brats. That's right. It's three podcast opera. <laughs> hey. All right. I like that. I like However, that we will not be covering Three Penny Opera on this uh, mini-series. This, during this series, we'll be taking a macro look at the play's ball, Mm-hmm. The Mother. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not Mother Courage, but The Mother mm-hmm. and Caucasian Chalk Circle. Yes. Uh and this week we are joined by a very special guest, a writer, yep. performer, producer, yep. uh listener of the pod, friend of all of us, a Brecht aficionado, and an actual Brecht adapter. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like the truest of of contexts, uh, if there ever was one, with our playwright, uh, buddy to us all, Travis Gatz. Everyone, hey, Trav. Welcome. What's up, y'all? How's it going? Good, good man. How good. are you? Now, people can listen to your artist spotlight to get to know you a lot better, because we. But that was a while back. So yeah. that was a while back. Give yeah. us a little fill in of what you've been up to since then. What what you got going on? Uh, yeah, I, um, I've returned to the stage as an actor for the first time in like five years and been doing that a little more consistently now, working oh, out yeah. those chops, uh, 
I adapted In the Jungle of the Cities by our very own B.B. Bertolt Brecht. Yep. Um, which, which we all saw and enjoyed mm-hmm. and had yeah, many a discussion you. afterwards about. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and we like got like approval from the state and stuff for to do it for free, which was really cool and made me feel special. Um, nice. Directed a few shows and uh, started writing some more, uh, both in the epic fashion and not in the epic fashion. So, you know. Just, uh, doing the work and seeing what's gonna go down and uh, me and scott actually have a reading coming up on thursday for another play that we get to be in together yeah yeah is that a, that's a chris haas isn't it yeah yeah it's a chris play oh hey cool i saw a chris haas play this uh past fringe nice across yes. the river was that the name yeah of it? or like yeah, something across the river yeah meeting across the river yeah meeting across the river yeah yeah I, I saw that too uh, hey, alice childress Oh, yeah. yes. Loft. Well, yeah. you're gonna see me name every president on stage. Yes, you did. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. My it's whole... like naming all the colors in the Joseph Amazing and Technicolor Dream Code. Do you want me to do it right now? It was I more. It, it was more a role where you gotta like be on stage for an hour saying almost nothing, and then just go on a six minute monologue, which was a lot of fun. I mean, that's yeah. kind of that's also kind of Brechtian in a weird way yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah no okay so we're excited to have you here uh mostly because you know brecht better than all of us probably pretty easily i think i would say i don't know scott like how well you know brecht but i don't really um i've read some i've seen some i've studied him as most do in school yeah in theater school to be specific yeah um but we're we're excited to cover this with you uh, today. We're talking about ball, yeah. and then we also we like to kind of understand where everybody's coming from in terms of where they actually like how they know Brecht Bertolt himself. Yeah, uh, what a name, Bertolt Bert Bertie Bert. Oh, okay, I believe, Bert. I believe at the time of the play we're talking about, he went by Bert. Bert. Yes. Either Bert or BB. Like Dick yeah, Van Dyke he, in uh, Mary Poppins. Wow, yeah. His family called him Dinky, though. Just like that character from that movie. <laughs> that that guy um, yeah, hilarious. Um, sure. I, okay, so <laughs> CJ, I want to, I want to beat you up right now. Um, I love you so much. Um, okay, let's talk about it. I want to hear your context. Let's start with my my beautiful co-host. Scott. I can't wait to hear which co-host I am. No, you're beautiful too. I'm just saying my beautiful co-host. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Scott, tell yeah. us like how do you know Brecht? How do you know Bert? Um, I was introduced in college, um, and uh I can't remember what the hell I think we read Mother Courage like sure. in in class and then i did a well we did selections from fear and misery uh in the third reich as part of my senior acting class thing and um th- that's really the big stuff i've seen since seen productions of ball i've seen productions of mother courage i saw a production of caucasian chalk circle um so yeah, I that's really it. It's very academic, which will be kind of my theme throughout our discussions about 
It's rare. It's rare on this podcast that we get academic. So I, right. we, yeah, I appreciate we, we, that. Actually, yeah, we're 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 not academic, and if you're going to take I, the test. Listen to a different podcast. Exactly. Exactly. Because we're we're about to go off. But my thesis is kind of like I I think that a lot of how we perceive him has is because of academia and not because of the work itself. I think it's it's been taken over a little bit and over intellectualized um but that i'll i'll get off of that soapbox right now <laughs> we'll get more into it later but yeah that's kind of my thing like college and i did some stuff so yeah siege um none i maybe we were made to read three penny opera or mother courage in college i don't remember it i've never yeah. seen it i've never yeah. read it uh travis had me sit down and watch a really cool um video of nina simone perform mm. a song sure. from three penny opera right trav and that he's nodding yes and then the other one um, <laughs> on an audio I, format <laughs> i know that i know that brecht i know that brecht loved b arthur that's all i know yeah <laughs> late, late in his life yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um i was sort of lied to about that i was told that she was like full-on like his muse yeah that's not true right i'm necessarily like i thought like yeah, it doesn't matter okay we'll get into it later <laughs> um because b arthur is one of my gals i mean brecht and i have that in common i do love b arthur yeah, same. <laughs> um uh yeah exactly no okay so i was in the three penny opera when I was in high school, I was a sophomore in high school, and wow. I got a call from this woman who produced a lot of theater around town, and they were they were using the Scottish Rite Center, which was an old uh, Mennonite, not Mennonite, Masonite, Mason, Ooh, Masons, Masons, Masonite, yeah. oh my god, Masons, an old Masons uh, temple, but it was huge castle in the middle of downtown Wichita, and if you went upstairs, there was like a little like Egyptian themed library that had like Nazi text in it. Right. Like Whoa. it was like a very, it was a hardcore place. Wow. Um, like, you know, Mein Kampf was there, like was just at the light was in that Christ. library. So it was Welcome a weird place Midwest, and everyone called it haunted. And there, there were stories surrounding it all the time, but we did three penny opera. I was one of the, uh, I was one of Mac the knife's gang. There's oh. like a, a trio that are sort of like his dudes. Yeah. My name was Matt. I think was my name, Matt. Sounds right. Okay. Um, and I and they made us like do like Tim Burton makeup and like all this kind of stuff. But it was so much fun, and I fell in love with it actually because it was my first time being introduced to non, um, because it was it was introduced to me as a musical, as just straight up like this is a musical theater show. But right. then it's so not it like form formulaically not a. A musical theater show, um, musically not a musical theater show, and we'll get into all of the reasons why with his other shows. But I, for the first time, was sort of like, oh shit, it doesn't have to just be like a perfect Disney fairy tale that's tied up in a bow. Right. Sometimes it can just be like in your face, like fuck you, sure. like theater. And I, you know, when Jenny is singing, or not Jenny, um, whatever uh there's oh yeah jenny jenny peachum is singing pirate jenny and and the whole audience is going like why is our heroine singing this horrifying like crazy song like i just was introduced to a lot during that show so cool. that was a big thing for me then in college mother courage um maybe like four or five others caucasian chalk circle was a huge one we read and then i saw caucasian chalk circle at the casey rep and loved it um and then we sort of discussed it and it got kind of like stripped 
down from where I started to not love it once my like mentor started being like, this is why their production didn't work. And I was like, oh no. Uh huh. And I, so since then I've had like an interesting relationship with him where I've never fully felt like I connect with the way that he views theater. And I think that's why maybe I don't always, um, it doesn't always work for me or, uh, and we'll get to this. I don't want to get, into my whole thesis on him. We have three episodes to do that. I'll lay little uh, Easter eggs and crumbs along the way until we get to my <laughs> final uh, opinion on him. But I, I have said it on on the podcast before, but I, I, I just don't really know how I feel about him always. And so I'm interested to actually dive in and, and get to know him better. But Trav, what is your context with him? How were you introduced to him? What was your like initial relationship with him before uh... you got into him? Yeah, um, when I was in college, uh, my freshman year, I was in acting studio, which was the advanced acting class. We only had two levels. Um, and I, my goal was I wanted to play darker characters uh, like any uh, college freshman wants to do. Yeah. And uh, my professor handed me a copy of Ball and said you should look at this one it's not on the list but you might like it um so i read ball and it was like the first like classic play that really just was like oh this is what i did because it's what any young fucking under early adult uh boy would be drawn to sure it's like showing Tarantino for the first time yeah 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 yeah. and it was like oh you could have a fucking womanizer drunk on stage doing all this crazy stuff um so that's kind of how I was introduced to him and then uh like Bailey I also did three penny opera I acted in it and that was my first like dramaturg uh gig in college oh, was cool. my oh, cool. I got a dramaturg for my professor and also uh he was like he he was very in touch with his like breath knowledge like he was a good uh <clears throat> he was like a good um a big like Brechtian like director um sure. he because mm. he used to be a as if you people have probably heard of my artist spotlight he was a collaborator with Joe Chaikin who did stuff like uh, Man Equals Man, stuff like that. Uh, but he also knew people like, uh, fuck, what is his name that just blanked? One of one of Breck's big translators, anyway. <laughs> It'll come up to me later. But uh, so he knew like Willett, John Willett. Okay. Um, and uh, so kind of like working with him, I got to learn a lot about Breck in that way. And the way we did Three Penny was we kind of just pieced a bunch of translations together and adapted some of the scenes to make it more modern day, which is, we'll go into later on, that's kind of with Breck's whole theory of things. Um, But that was like my first real big, uh, like, attempt to do a Breck thing. Uh, Then for my senior, when my senior project was coming around, I did all the prep to direct ball. And then got denied, only for them to give it to a POS after. But uh, I know who that POS is. Fuck that motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, but so I, I actually, the first one we're going to talk about, I actually know pretty well. I have a very intimate relationship with it. It's also not in my top ten Breck plays. Nice. Fun fact: the play. My my professor said something about like loving this like really punk rock 
painter when he was in college and then being a big Michelangelo fan later on. Right. I feel that's kind of what it's like for me where I was like, I love this play. And then I read it like later on. I'm like, this is subpar. <laughs> um, and, and Trev, you and I were uh, set to, we had been discussing cause you really wanted to be a part of it. And it probably would have happened. We just hadn't even gotten to that point yet. I was set to direct an immersive three penny opera when COVID hit. Yeah. So yeah. I was working wow. with two cents theater group with Kristen Boulay and we were, we were, we had set really? our season and I was going to be doing, we were going to be doing Hedwig and the angry inch and like some like really amazing stuff that season. And I said, I want to do a fully immersive, fully Brechtian, like, like kind of fuck you Brechtian, um, like musical theater with three penny opera uh, and make it like immersive in like a, a warehouse somewhere. Mm. And I told Travis about it one night and he was like, Oh, I want to be part of that. And I was like, you're going to be part of this. <laughs> so we, just, <laughs> but it never happened. We never, we never got to make it happen. That makes I me think of Dionysus in 69. We're going to have to just, cover that sometime. I just don't want to play anybody big in the three penny. I just want to, I just want to play the street singer. I just want to sing those two songs. <laughs> yeah. You know, Roger Daltrey did it in the musical movie. That they made. Oh right, 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 right. It's pretty yeah. good. Do you know who uh, who played the role when it first premiered on Broadway? Who first? Oh, on Broadway? I don't know who. Louis Armstrong. Oh really? Oh yeah. wow, that's so cool. That's cool. That's, that's why he has that cover of it and stuff uh, like yeah. that. Sure, but, yeah, of course. His Mac yeah. the Knife is super famous. Yeah, when it like premiered and bombed, they had Louis Armstrong playing the street singer. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah, there's been a lot of iterations of that. Um, unfortunately, we're not talking Three Penny, but we are talking Ball. But before we get into Ball, there's another segment that we like to do, just uh -huh. so we can know a little bit more about Berdy. Berdy. Yeah. Um, but. But. <laughs> but what's the accent what, what accent are we doing right now i was doing julie andrews in mary well, poppins <laughs> uh, you're trying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious scottpedia okay so uh, a couple disclaimers before we get into this there's a lot about fucking Bertolt Brecht. Like, like this dude was documented well. There's no mystery. <laughs> like, there's it's like every fucking detail. Every time he wiped his ass, there's a Wikipedia entrance for yeah. it. Well, he was a big deal. I mean, he I was a, he was know? a big deal, and and he was surrounded by writers and who kept writing about him and, and all I, all of it. Yeah, I'm I not feel mad. like he's on par with someone we covered recently, Oscar Wilde, but who was alive at a time where they weren't really documenting the same way that they were when birdie right. was doing yeah. it right yeah. like by the because Bertolt dies in the 50s is that right? well you'll get yeah. there yeah but i just feel like he's it's a better time for documenting <laughs> the theater in general right right um okay 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 so we're gonna get into it i do have two truths <gasps> and a lie to play yes. at the end uh i don't know I, that travis gets to play that though, because he might that. know everything, he might know, he might we'll know everything. We'll i think see. i might be able to throw him i was okay, thinking okay. about him as i did it oh, um man. and then i'm gonna i'm gonna throw in He's when i get there him. we're gonna i'm gonna throw in a little uh epic theater definition thing okay. uh just so that we can sort of set the stage mm -hmm. eugen bertolt friedrich brecht was oh. born on, yeah. Uh, Eugene. He Bertolt. has more names than Oscar Wilde, I think. <laughs> Brecht. 
was born on February 10th, 1898 in Aschberg, Germany. Oh. He's the son of Bertolt Friedrich Brecht, and uh, his mother's name was Sophie. Uh, Brecht's mother was a devout Protestant, and his father a Roman Catholic. Is that important anymore? I guess it is, yes. and I guess in time, like, it, it just shouldn't be. It's like it's still bullshit going yeah. on in my family yeah. between uh, Catholics and Protestants. Dear right? Lord. Let's, Fucking stupid. Let's let it go, people. Yeah. Uh, the modest house where he was born is today preserved as a Brecht Museum. The gift shop there's got to suck, right? Like, I mean, Trav's got Trav's got a cool T-shirt on, but it's like, hey, did you go to the Brecht Museum? It's like, hey, I got my Brecht wall calendar. Yeah, and my bricked album. hat and a keychain, <laughs> like my bricked keychain. Like, what? Do you, I don't know. I'd want a shower curtain. I just I'd was like some bricked merch. I would probably do it too. And if I was there, I certainly would go to it. I would absolutely yeah. visit. Maybe no we question. should start bricked merch. Y'all are making fun of the top shelf of my bookshelf. Right uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, buddy, sorry. Um, due to his grandmother and his mother's influence, Brecht knew the Bible, a familiarity that would be a lifelong effect that would have a lifelong effect. On on his writing. He had a very comfortable middle-class upbringing despite his attempts at claiming a peasant origin throughout his Aww. life. Especially wow. got well, especially got more marxist, that makes sense. Um, World War One broke out when Brecht was 16. He was initially stoked about it, uh, but when he saw his classmates, quote, swallowed by the army, end quote, he changed his mind and was almost expelled from school for writing an essay arguing that only an empty-headed person could be persuaded to die for their country. Damn. Yeah, dude. I was like, yeah, he gets Them some big rock. thoughts he, for a high schooler. He gets metal. He gets metal throughout, throughout his All life. All right. I dig him. Uh, in 1917, he enrolled at Munich University, where he began studying drama. He began writing newspaper articles and theater reviews under the name Bert Brecht. Uh, sometime either around 1920, 1921, Brecht took a small part in the political cabaret of the Munich comedian Karl Valentin. And that would have a huge impact on the rest of his life. In 1918, he writes his first play, which was Ball. And we'll get to that in just a second. In 1922, while still living in Munich, Brecht came to the attention of an influential Berlin critic, uh, Herbert Ehring. I'm going to mess up these German names horribly. Uh, at 24, uh, uh, and Mr. Ehring said of Bertolt Brecht, at 24, the writer Bert Brecht has changed Germany's literary complexion overnight. So he had a lot of, a lot, lot of attention on him for a 24-year-old. Um, in 1927, uh, Brecht became part of the dramaturgical collective of Erwin Piscata, Piscators. Uh, Piscator, nice. thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, his first company, which was designed to tackle the problem of finding new plays for its, quote, epic political confrontational documentary theater during this time Brecht helps define the epic theater movement along with other practitioners who responded to the political climate of the time through the creation of new political dramas. Epic theater is not meant to refer to the scale or the scope of the work, but rather to the form that it takes. Epic theater emphasizes the audience's perspective and reaction to the piece through a variety of techniques that deliberately cause them to individually engage in a different way. The purpose of epic theater is not to encourage an audience to, to, to suspend their disbelief, but rather to force them to see their world as it is right the the quote is like the the substance of theater or the purpose of theater is to teach 
uh, and like it, it's a hammer. What's that one quote? I always forget oh, that one. Oh, it's on my quote. shirt. Let me read it to you. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Art is not a mirror held up to reality, but a hammer with which to shape it. Yeah, fuck uh, that. But we'll talk about that later. We'll get, we'll um, get to it. <laughs> so in 1927, um, also saw the first collaboration between Brecht and the young composer Kurt Weil. Uh, they would go on to do Three Penny Opera. In 1930, Brecht married Helene Weigel, which was technically his second marriage. He had a first marriage. His son died in World War II fighting for the Nazis, but he didn't have much of a relationship with him. But with his second marriage uh, to Helene, uh, they had a a daughter named Barbara Brecht, who was uh, soon after... Babs Brecht? Babs Brecht, yes. (laughs) Uh, And she became an actress and would later share the copyrights of Brecht's work uh, with her siblings. Throughout the 20s and 30s, this dude is busy as a motherfucker. He's writing, he's directing, he's collaborating, he's, he's infusing philosophy and psychology into his theater work. Um, fearing, uh, as things went on, though, into the early 30s, fearing persecution, Brecht left Nazi Germany uh, in February of 1933, right after Hitler came to power. Um, and uh, basically, he hopped around Europe. He was in Prague, he was in Zurich, he was in Paris. Um, he worked in Denmark a little bit, uh, and basically he's waiting for his visa, and in 1941 he gets his visa to come to the United States. Uh, he spent uh, time in the States, mostly here in L.A., uh, writing articles. Uh, he did write a co-script uh, with Fritz Lang that was produced. And, oh, cool. Yeah. All right. um, and then he was blacklisted from Hollywood, Hollywood for his writings and his philosophy. That was uh, and, like the un-American yeah, thing or and, whatever? I remember learning about that. Yeah. You mean 2022? Right. Yeah. <laughs> be careful. Uh, in October 1947, he was subpoenaed to testify in front of the House of uh, on an American Activities Subpoena. Committee. He denied being a communist. As soon as the meeting was over, he went to New York, got on a boat, and went back to Europe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, then he eventually, he bounced around Europe again when he got back, but he eventually ended up in East Berlin, uh, where he, uh, put together the Berliner Ensemble and they were doing Which production. still exists, right? Still exists, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he started writing less and less, his health declined, and he died on August 14th, 1956, of a heart attack at the age of 58. Like, he was, oh, yeah, too young. Was, yeah, too young. Um, but I got, uh, I got true, two truths. And a lie. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Number one. Brecht was an avid skier and marksman and almost tried out for the German Olympic biathlon team. Brecht was friends with Charlie Chaplin and they exchanged notes on various projects. Brecht used costume glasses while appearing before the House on Un-American Activities Committee. Which of those three is the truth? And, or oh, which is a lie? Is no, oh. no, no. Which one's a lie? I think Chaplin <laughs> is a lie. Okay. Um, I'm unsure if him and Chaplin were friends. I know that he would claim that Chaplin was the epitome of the epic actor, but I'm going to go with A. Okay. I, I'm going to go. You're saying that. Okay. We'll recap in just a second. Come on, Siege. I'm going to go with the first one. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Travis and CJ are saying that the lie is that Brecht was an avid skier and marksman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, oh, oh. it doesn't really track for me, but I, I, 
am like, that's pretty cool. And I'm, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Keep going. Watch it be the thing. Bailey is saying that it was uh, that that Chaplin and Brecht were not friends. Or he doesn't believe that one. I don't believe it. Okay. I don't believe it. I think he's too cool for Chaplin. Travis Ooh. and CJ are correct. He was not an avid yeah. skier nor Mark. Yeah, he's too oh, goofy. Both he and Chaplin. Though, fun fact: he was a very good driver. He used to like to drive cars and all the time. Was That's one why of his he lived in LA. I think um, I just want the first one to be true. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah. I, I have to tell the story real quick about the glasses, wearing the costume glasses for the, the appearing before the McCarthy trials. And so he intentionally, he wore glasses, but he went and he found a big rimmed, like, so that his eyes literally would look bigger <laughs> and more innocent. And then he feigned being, he feigned his English, not speaking English. So they used. I think I heard that part before. And so they used a translator, and he would ba he basically just bobbed and weaved like every time he was asked a question, he would kind of go, I, "I don't know, I don't understand." You know, were you ever a member of the Communist Party? Ah, oh, I don't like parties. Like and like, he just <laughs> just like ducked and weaved because he was a communist and God, well, fucking politicians a are and stupid well, so was uh, Lucille Ball at one point so it's you know because she didn't know what she was signing she didn't know what she was signing yeah um, um but anyway can I add something to your little recap Scott yeah that I feel is just very important when talking about Brecht Travapedia. is uh though his name is Brecht and he's the big uh man on campus uh he wouldn't have been Brecht. His theories wouldn't be what they were. And Three Petty Opera probably wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for folks like Helen Weigel and Elizabeth Hopman and uh, Ruth Barlow, who were his frequent collaborators, especially Elizabeth Hopman, who was in fact translating Word. Three Penny Opera when it uh, was coming out. And then uh, Piscator was like, hey, we need somebody to open this season. And he's like, well, my girlfriend or my partner is uh working on this translation he was also a bipolyamorous person uh is working on this uh translation of the beggar's opera let's do that i mean kurt vile have been working on mahogany but we could transfer over to this thing and so kind of from there him and hopman really were like together like when if you go into a lot of his later plays Hopman's name is on pretty much everything as a collaborator. Yeah, to the or, point yeah. where like there is dis there has been discussion of like how much did he write and not and not in the like Shakespearean way of like we don't know what's his and what's but there is discussion of sort of like well like there's enough collaboration where like you're saying Trav like without those people it probably wouldn't be what it is mm -hmm. um, and he was sort of just the face of it all uh, the the name of it all. Um, so much so that there's, yeah, there's just like that little bit of, it, well, the discussion mostly surrounds the fact that his female characters are really well written and there's like really good, not well written's a bad way to say it. What I really mean is they're good parts Yeah, and it's a, um, a lot of people, a lot of women would be excited to play those roles, especially even in a modern day. Uh, but the question sort of becomes, was he the reason they're so good? you know there's such good parts or was it because of these collaborators that he I, had? I think it was i think it was a big collaboration thing and yeah. i think it's just uh it's because he worked with like 
a translator, Berlow was a director, Weigel was yeah. a actress, to where I think it was just he wanted to collaborate and he loved all these women so much. As toxic as like him and Weigel's relationship may have been, stuff like that. I, it, it seems that he truly did love them in his own weird way and he he has an interesting past too like yeah. but uh well and what keeps coming up again and again is collectives he's in collectives he's forming mm-hmm. collectives he's drawn to that um which might be one of the biggest things that i admire about him is that he did view theater as the communal art that we all love about it you know that I think sometimes gets yeah. lost is that he was definitely into collaborating. Um, yeah. But he was also, he, he, he didn't hide taking credit for stuff either. So yeah. True. also yeah. another funny story, since we're all in a small theater in LA, uh, this, I think this will be hilarious to all of us is uh, the reason him and Kurt Vile, their like relationship got sour and they stopped working with each other was because during three petty, he forgot to put Lottie Ledya's name in the program. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. And I, I read it. I'm like, that's the most like LA seat theater Vanity. thing ever. Vanity. Yeah. <laughs> I think they just oh, forgot. The I think they were just the overwhelmed bill. putting a show up in like a summer. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just found it hilarious. No, that's hilarious. I, I, I think, yeah, we would, people would still do that now. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, it's in- interesting that where he ends up with epic theater and, um, sort of you know coming out of the late 1800s early 1900s theater of naturalism and like Mm -hmm. realism where everything was like everyone was like really obsessed with it like being real i want word a real working wood fire on stage and you know and all (laughs) this stuff he was combating that right he was combating the true naturalism which was he's basically like fuck that uh why are we pretending we're in a kitchen we're not we're let's acknowledge we're in a theater like we're not idiots which I, you know, I have opinions on, but I think what's interesting about him is that he doesn't really react in that way until later. He he does some Brechtian things in this first one we're going to talk about, but he doesn't get into true epic theater until his like sort of second and third seasons of Medical writing. Man, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. which we can get into the next two episodes, but this episode, this is early. This is his first work. It's kind of raw. It's 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 definitely like a first outing, but I I I think there's a lot to discuss here. So let's get into it. This is Ball B A A L uh Siege. Yeah. I don't know what it's about. Yeah. But I know you do. Yeah. Can you tell me? Yeah. CJ's breakdown. Ball is a mildly talented poet that is given everything and repeatedly forgiven or forgotten because of it. He goes through life being a soaked, abusive, intolerant rapist and eventual murderer. Maybe because of some unnamed trauma? Maybe because he can't deal with his attraction to men? NC-17, Pierre Gint. That's a great way to put it. It's actually a perfect way to put it, and I felt the same way because when we talked about Pierre Gint, I was like, "This is such a first outing." You can see some things that are Ibsen esque, but that don't. But he, you can see why he gets better, and I feel that here. Um, I do like this play. I think it's interesting. Um, obviously, 
and you showed your feelings on it, which I'm glad you did see. <laughs> um, because there's a lot to say here. It's a very cynical piece, yes. Um, it's And it, the point, of course, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm, I'm just saying this to, to spark discussion, mm. is I, in my point, opinion, all of Brecht's sort of the point becomes like to present characters that we shouldn't be relating to. And therefore, if we are relating to them, then it's an issue and we should stop Sure. whatever we're doing. Whereas like Paula Vogel presents us with characters who are problematic, who we actually are able to see the human in. Yeah. He's doing sort of the opposite and being like, he's like, oh, you, you feel like this person? You should probably stop doing what you're doing then because this person's mm -hmm. fucked up. This yeah. is not a hero here. Um, and Ball is definitely the beginnings of that, right? Um, it's sort of the epitome of that. This right? is this is my main oversweeping thing about this, and I have a I have a lot of things to say too, and maybe I'm going to kind of be the cynical eye rolly bitch through this whole thing. No, but I get to a point, and I get I I totally hear you, and I that's a great way to think of it, Bailey, and I wish I'd come up with that while I was reading it. But I'm I'm bitching about this in modern day too with Game of Thrones or any of this shit. I get to the point where I can't watch another person, especially in these situations, women be mistreated and abused on stage. I get to a point where I'm like, I get it, I get it. Yeah. And it just it after a while is like, okay, here we go again. He's doing this again, you know. And almost just it elevates, which I guess is another thing it's saying. Like if you don't curtail this behavior and do something about it or put them away or make them learn from their mistakes it's just right. going to escalate and it, the treatment is going to get worse yeah, yeah people I'm, I'm... put this up all the time ball uh, yeah. all the time and a lot of the reviews do tend to follow that sort of like we just don't really need to see this anymore and there was one production that even cast him as a as a with a female um a, with an actress and they were and the reviews were still sort of like right it doesn't make it better. Right. It, that right. doesn't change anything, you know. Which so I don't also, know. poor ball between Brecht and the Bible, that poor fucking god got a bad rap. <laughs> <laughs> I um, for me, um, and I don't mean to be reductive about it, but ever I I've always known for the two or three productions I've seen of it, for the times I've read it, I've always known that this is his first play and that he was twenty years old when he wrote it. Yeah. So there's this young, dumb, and full of cum bravado that permeates. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. That, yeah. that permeates and through it, and you know, and I mean, he wasn't the the first or the last. Uh, you know, I think about Jim sure. Morrison, you know, who sort of wrote on on similar kinds of coattails. This sort of you know the 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 rogue poet uh you know pushing the boundaries of life and existence and uh sexuality and all that i just wish and in in reviewing it this time because i didn't reread it until after you had sort of made a few comments siege mm -hmm. about your reading of it and i i was with you and and because I know that there's stuff about Brecht's sexuality and maybe that there, there I, I felt like there was some definite repression there. I oh, felt yeah. like if I felt like if he would have been fucking dudes too throughout it, like it, it, he couldn't have done that. I don't think in whatever year that was 19, what 18 that he wrote right. it. 
Um, but Brecht was getting with dudes. What? Brecht was getting with dudes. Yeah, I knew. But yeah, not, this yeah. Ball is not. But Ball isn't. And I don't think that he would have been allowed to have shown that. But that's something that you could tell he almost wants to. But yeah, and it it is part of the evolution. And and uh, Trav brought up the women earlier that you can see that there's just a disregard for women for me in it um, that undermines some of the cool things that happen, some of the cool things that are said, some of the cool thoughts that are expressed in it. But then at the same time, lots of womb talk, lots of womb talk. Yeah, definitely. Which made me think like, okay, so there's some kind of unnamed trauma here, which, you know, I mean, I guess it's interesting. I'm sure this would have been shocking back in the day, putting it up on stage. But also it's like, we have so much more vocabulary now for like why someone is doing that and why someone is drinking that much and why someone is acting that crazily. Whereas then you're just kind of putting it out there and showing it to people back then. Right. Um, so in previous uh, versions of this play, <laughs> it was more focused on like the mother being like more of a prime character a lot of these scenes have been like re rearranged throughout the entire play also except a couple of big plot points it's definitely um, been decon- deconstructed and reconstructed a lot yeah. sure yeah he's like we, we say it's his first play from the from him when he was 20 but he's this is probably one of the longest plays he worked on and it yeah, probably I mean, he was... did like a full rewrite in 26 or something. Yeah. yeah. So like I, I look at it more like 26 to 30 was when he wrote this play because he rewrote it a little once he started going, oh, epic theater and getting that idea in there. Um, but also uh, something about Ball is uh, the character of Ball is something that he created with his friend Casper uh, Neher, who he's known since grade school and like Casper was his set designer, his whole, yeah, life. the whole, they knew each other for yeah. years and years. And yeah. in his, ball, you are uh, Brecht. They're pretty much similar people, <laughs> which I could go into also Brecht had a cult fun fact. Um, but uh, he had like this picture drawing that Casper did of ball, like for a while, even before he started writing it. And it was to, demonstrate what he called the hydropyranthropist which yeah. uh kind of goes through his uh entire life which is which he classifies as the water fire person mm-hmm. and it's say that we as people are made of contradictions of water and fire and that's kind of what he tries to do with ball um it also goes to say that uh creating this there's a lot of like uh rumor going around that he wrote it in like four days and for a bet which is not true he actually uh he had this professor arthur kusher who was doing a theater seminar in munich university and would always talk up this uh hans joss dude who was a novelist and a playwright he was an expressionist and he later wrote nazi plays and, yeah, right. Yeah, it, right. and he kind of wrote this as an argument going well this is bullshit what you're writing i'm gonna write something better and he even kind of admired hans jost but he wanted to kind of like make a like name and a statement about the bullshit that this dude was doing right um yeah we, and we should also note too that we're we're at an era where Freudianism is starting to spread and it's spreading from Austria. So the idea that he's talking about Oedipal complexes, that those are conversations that are being had, um, may may have, I haven't read that. It's just a thought that 
may have had an influence about him talking about because the mother's an entity in this more than a character of any kind for right. me we never actually meet i mean no. i read two versions of this script i read a, i read a translation i read an adaptation i didn't see any mother the closest thing we got was his landlady mm. right and then there's mothers constantly mentioned it's the mothers of the girls that he's getting pregnant or mm-hmm. that he's yeah. dragging into sin yeah yeah mm-hmm. um yeah i saw uh sacred fools did a production of it years ago uh, when I was uh, artistic director, directed by Ben Rock, um, that I don't think worked overall, but had it was a more contemporary translation and had uh, it, it's got it's got a bravado that I kind of admire. Um, you know, it it does go balls out, um, but again, I just I couldn't emotionally connect to it, and this isn't you know what he becomes too it's it's a it's an interesting starting point as we get into next week's episode and talking about the evolution of playwrights which is what we do here uh this is going to be an interesting point for us to come back to an interesting base to come back to i think there's this interesting yeah i i we kind of already talked about this but i think it's worth mentioning that moving forward from this all of his plays sort of follow horrible people like we're never really going to get out of that in mm-hmm. any of these right so like he's there's like old timey seinfeld the next one <laughs> yeah the next one especially i mean it, like so because it's this kind of yeah it's seinfeld he's <laughs> he's larry david but i think well because a great example of this is three penny opera i brought this up earlier but in three uh, three podcast opera and three podcast op- opera the peachums um, I love this show, by the way, and I, it's it's weird how much I love this show. I think it's mostly just because I was in it, but then like working on it so mm-hmm. deeply about mm-hmm. to direct it. Um, but the Peachums, uh, their entire business, they call they sort of call themselves like the the king of the. He calls himself the king of the beggars, but really what it is is he sends out beggars onto the street mm-hmm. to beg, and then he just takes whatever they bring back. <laughs> so nice. they don't get to keep anything. And he, like, doesn't let them, you know, he, like, searches their clothes and makes sure that they don't keep anything. It's that kind of thing. So he's going to do that through the rest of his plays where he's trying to show us, like, the shittiness of the bourgeoisie, the the, the problems in the classes. He, he's he's, he's, he's kind of like George Carlin, um, in a way, except with like kind of less to say, but be, because in 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 theater, there are basically two ways of talking about social change, right? We talk about this a lot on this podcast, but one way is everything is bad. Let's do something about it, activism, and the other way is everything is bad. Oh well, there's mm-hmm. nothing to be done. Sure, yeah. sure. Fuck it, right? Um. And I think although Brecht is semi-activist in the way that he is presenting a lot of these things, sure, um, he's also a little bit, oh, well, there's nothing to be done. Um, and I think, I think politically, nowadays, Siege, when we watch th- this play in particular, mm-hmm. um, I actually think it's more offensive now maybe than it was then. Sure, I could. Right? I could agree with that and for I, sure. And I think 
although it was provocative, I think now it would be even harder to watch, which is why modern directors try to recast based in weird shit like gender and stuff. And you're just like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's still abusive. It's still bad. I don't still don't want to watch this. Um, But, but I do think what he's doing much like the Peachums is presenting a negative figure and having us have to watch it. It's, you know, it's two hours of having to watch it. It's Sarah Kane with less new. I, I was about to say that the way that some of her scenes kind of, and I, I'm not thinking um, blasted so much as like maybe cleansed where you're just hopping around and all of a sudden you're just in a different area and something yeah. else horrible is happening. I was like, this does feel a little bit like Sarah Kane, a little bit where you're like, oh no, what's happening next? <laughs> well, right. Except that Sarah Kane's characters are very relatable. Sure. And and um are based in emotion whereas his is based in intellectual um problems and he doesn't want any of his characters to be uh, relatable and he doesn't want the escapism of theater to be part of the equation whereas even sarah kane though everything she's doing is is garish and provocative and and difficult it's always hopeful it is it's always hopeful and breck doesn't feel the need to do that and i can actually applaud him for that in yeah. some ways i think he gets better at it um much like sam shepherd got better at it after C- cowboy mouth yeah um, i think this reads like cowboy mouth this reads like pierre gent it reads like early even though he like you said trev he does a lot of editing he does a lot of forward movement on it i do think it's hard to read and all of his plays are hard to read i think they're much easier to view even if the director doesn't even fully get it, I think I'd rather hear these plays out loud than read because I find myself when I'm reading sort of being like, I'm sure this would be better if there was something theatrical happening in the way it's being delivered. And all I'm reading is text. So when I read Ball, all I'm thinking is like, I kind of just want to watch David Bowie do this because there was that David Bowie. So I'm just like, I just, I kind of want to just see this. Um, the only versions of it I can find are in German. I, I do want to disagree a little bit on the whole idea of uh, taking out emotion. That's not what his goal was. His goal was more to strive away from empathy because he thought if an uh, audience was feeling empathetic to it, they won't be uh, reflecting. Sure. So the emotion is still there. It's just how his thing was, how do you get away from empathy? And how sure. do you how do you make it where it's in kind of an uncanny valley a little bit? Right. So, and and in doing that creates a one dimensionality and a lack of nuance that I am unable to get emotional with. Right. And so I think it's more of like an audience emotion. There there's a lack of emotional relatability there, which maybe isn't on purpose by him, but I find that personally. Uh, I find I, it a little emotional still. Like, it, it, sure. it, 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 like there, there's stuff to be there. It's just more like uh, being able to break that emotion in different ways, whether it is stopping and going into a poem from a play. And it, it, like it's, he sees it more as entertainment, as we've talked about him being in the cabaret, stuff like that, mm-hmm. to where you got to look at it as a variety show, where they like go from we're doing that like in uh, his later plays he has stuff where he'll be going into a scene and then just everybody comes out and paints a wall while singing you know sure. stuff like that to where it's like uh it, it could be emotional it's just like by saying that it has the same thing as like 
how alienation versus the vfx fucking changes it like saying alienation like we do in uh america kind of just like distances what he tries to say because it's not it's not alienating the audience it's a totally different thing and it's bringing the audience into an engagement in a different level and seeing it as a different way Mm. i think that was Mm. true in the 30s and 40s i think that's absolutely true i think today when we present brecht that is not the case and i think part of that is just america i think Mm -hmm. part of that is just um the directors currently working on brecht i haven't seen a lot of uh, and i'm not talking about adaptations but i haven't seen a lot of true brecht that did anything that i felt was new or i did anything that that sparked inspiration or passion in me right and i think there can be you're absolutely right there can definitely be that emotion audiences at your adaptation were feeling all kinds of emotions there was verbal there was constant verbal and 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 you know out loud like emoting happening during that show where people were having real realizations people were going oh my god or even actually the number one sound during your play trav was mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I said Jesus a couple of times. Yeah, a lot of people just going, mm-hmm, that's true. That is how it is, right? And I think those are the kind of plays. The other play I saw that was kind of like that recently that brought out a lot of like <laughs> audience engagement. And I guess you could call this emotion, especially when it's political. Um, people get emotional about it. But was um, Blues for the Alabama Sky? Did anybody get to see that? No. Mm-hmm. Blues, blues for an Alabama sky. It, it's really fantastic, and I went and saw it at, at um, the Mark Taper, and it. Uh, I've never been in an audience with so many people, not talking necessarily back to the actors, but like engaging with almost every line verbally. Like it was like they'd say like, and also, uh, you know, uh, I gotta, I gotta work late tonight. Gotta put food on the table got a baby on the way and like 30 people would go that's right that's right yeah. <laughs> and i was just like what and and what's happening but it was kind of amazing right the last show i went to that was like that was abortion weekend at hollywood fringe oh shit yeah they would have to stop because people were standing up and clapping and cheering at them wow <laughs> yeah i'm sure that screwed up their timing since they nah, had to get out nah, they, no? No, they, okay. did, they did a really good job with it uh well and plus i think they took out a 90 minute segment and it was only a 50 minute show or something anyway they took out a 90 minute segment yeah i think they're i think they rented out for 90 minutes oh i see what you mean i thought yeah. you were, their they, footprint it was, was 90 minutes. At, yeah. it was at one point 140 minutes and they cut 90 minutes <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> i wasn't um, being clear got it. but if anything i will say knowing that brecht was 20 i mean I've, I've been trying to think of like, okay, so if we did a modern day production of this, it was like gender reverse. And I'm like, no, no, because it, it, it still, it's just someone being cruel and awful. Like, what if you did the play exactly what it smacks of? Like a 20 year old dude figuring out his sexuality, just went through a breakup and he's just filling himself up with booze because yeah. of it. I think there's a take. I yeah. think, which is why yeah. I say I like this play. I, I it's almost like Dog from play. Fringe. Mm-hmm. Like oh, sure, just watching sure, sure. someone self-destruct because they can't handle something that they're going through. Yeah, I think there's a take there because I, like I said before, like I, I kind of like this play weirdly. Like I don't know what it is about it that 
I still finished it and was sort of like, I, I want to watch David Bowie. Dude. It's because it's got it's got a swagger to it. That's that, a great way to put it. That that you're just like, yeah, I, I get all the problems. Uh, you know, you you, you yeah, you kind of like it as much as you as you as you hate it. Um, Man, just <laughs> I don't like but, ball. But, <laughs> I don't like him. I don't like the circumstance. I'm not sitting there going like woo woo. Yeah, ball. Get him, ball. Get him. Yeah, yeah. No. And, but and I am sitting there going like, okay, there's things here. There's things that Kane is going to pull from later. There's things that that uh, oh, oh my god. I mean, so that that Susan Laurie Parks is going to pull from later. Like mm. we're still doing theater constantly. Oh, Annie Baker, absolutely. Circle Mirror Transformation. Sure. It basically, literally references Caucasian Chalk Circle. Like it's like there's. Uh, okay. No, oh. no, I, I, no, no, I, I, no. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And the way that the, and we'll, I, I have stuff to say next week as we start to see the ripples of his influence and what the the later work is all about. Yeah. Um, uh, you're absolutely right. And yes, you can tell all those people studied that. Yeah, Annie Baker. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm-hmm. Well, because there's just like. <sighs> We'll get into it. We have two whole other episodes of Talk Brecht, and I actually went deeper than I meant to about my 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 larger opinion on him. But ball specific, is there anything else, Trav? You especially, is there anything else ball specific we want to talk about? Um, because we'll probably have to reference it a lot when we're discussing uh, the evolution in the next two episodes. So, anything else? Yeah, uh, there's some important parts of it. I think um, the the. The saving graces of this, um, and what I think a lot of productions probably miss because they get so distracted on ball, is it shouldn't be about ball. It's about the way these bourgeois people and the women and the and Eckhart all kind of like put them on this pedestal. It's the same way like we look at Bukowski, and ball is Bukowski, is where he's this piece of shit, fucking lecherous, rapist. Uh, man, misogynistic man who's a fucking drunk and because he writes good words he's on this pedestal he's getting all this love he's getting free booze free gigs whatever he's getting published in the very first scene uh, and it's where we it's where we uh how we treat these uh idols it's when we talk about um the work versus the person but really what is what is the difference when you look at somebody like ball sure. you know um and so that's one of the big things is like when you're doing this you gotta have that uh what cj was saying about a young man kind of going up, trying to heal his heart with his booze and shit like that that's too that's the adolescence not being able to handle emotions not being able to uh handle taking in that overindulgence um there's the idea of temperance in there um and then uh honestly there's uh the character of Eckhart even and I disagree with Scott on Bald never had sex with a dude because I think him and Eckhart definitely fucked in the forest oh I just meant that that (laughs) that Brecht Brecht showing any kind of homosexual relationship on stage in 1918 he wouldn't have been able to do you as a director would have to imply that it's not in the text it it is though and he kills eckhart like it's because he kills eckhart because eckhart's flirting with a woman 
and it's, he's so just jealous of this to where he kills the one well, to me, you can certainly loves. play it yeah to me at that point i'm like oh he's he's into him that's the problem yeah. here like i but yeah that was the moment where everything kind of clicked for that's me that's not a homosexual like, uh, relationship well, I that's, just... yeah that's just murder for crush right lust um crush murder um i have one last thing to share about how i would direct the final scene okay so ball is lying on the dirty bed and he finally dies and the last woodcutter is walking out and he says what are you thinking about i always want to know what goes on in a man's head then i'm still listening to the rain he said i went cold all over i'm still listening to the rain he said Cue guitar solo from November Rain. Yeah. <laughs> Blackout. Little guns yeah. and roses. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that'd be sick actually. No, that'd be awesome. Don't you wish that you need somebody? Uh, don't you yeah. wish that you I think need there's someone. definitely I think Ball is one of those plays that is a great um you know, on this podcast this happens a lot where we present something or we choose something that a modern audience and i think cj is a great sort of like uh beacon of this where a a modern audience is mostly just going to be turned off by the content and not really want to go deeper and i don't mean you didn't go deeper cj i just mean like sure there's not really a desire to because of the two to the 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 outside layer is already a little crusty. Well, sometimes I can't crack through my exterior of like, "Mm, fuck this guy. Then I'm always excited to get on here and talk about it because just in talking about it, y'all have kind of changed. You've made me think about it harder in good ways. And so so I think I I always want to like defend things on that level of like, okay, but yes. Sure. But there's a deeper thing here. And I think that's what Trav is getting to is that there, there is a cream filling here that has not been tainted by the crust. Right. And I think that's why, is that a, is that a okay way to put it? Um, there's, it's like when you get open up a Snickers or something and there's like caramel on the outside that get, that kind of got out and like the yeah, come chocolate on, got Snickers. a little dusty and it's like not really doing it. But then you, st- you, you bite in and you're like, okay, but the inside is still nougat. Yeah. I'm still having fun eating it. And I think, there's a bit of that here with ball and i think it, it, it gets better as we move on but this one i think would be very easy for a modern audience to watch or read and automatically just be like nope i'm not gonna ever read another brecht play um i think that's a a bad decision not a decision cj's making but for anybody else who has made that decision because this is not a great rosetta stone for his uh, work right at all there's just so much growth after this which is what this podcast is about where circus valentine it's his circus valentine (laughs) it's his first outing that just doesn't work for everyone and especially in a modern audience i just don't think i i I even think the most adept director probably couldn't get everyone to really appreciate this one right um but it, it it doesn't it He writes it in 1918. This is something I usually talk about and I don't, uh, I forgot to, but um, it doesn't receive a theatrical performance until 1923. Wow. um, When it gets performed at the Altes Theater in Leipzig. Directed by Alwyn Kronacher. uh, And Brecht was actually there for most of the rehearsals. Oh, that's fun. um, But I think 
we're going to get much deeper in it, into it in the next two episodes, and we can reference Ball as we do it. But CJ and anybody else as well, I, I do recommend, like, when you're engaging with things like this, like, find some friends like Trav and Scott and Bailey, some some dudes to scream at you um who can who can also like women need <laughs> well, i don't mean that i just mean like find episode. other people to discuss it with so that you can yeah. you can get to that nougaty center because there is there are things here as 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 travis just just mentioned like there are things here there are there are allegories here there are metaphors here there are things to there are philosophies here that i think even today matter however I think it can also be, unless you have a really adept director, I think it can also be a little simple. And that will be sort of my my take in the next two episodes. I'm just setting everybody up for that. Is that I do think that once you get to that nougaty center, it is kind of just, it's a Three Musketeers. It's not a Snicker. You, you open it and it's just nougat. Right, like there's not a lot of peanuts and other shit. Third less fat. <laughs> yeah, and I and I and that's not a that's not a slight. That's actually not a slight. I think it's on purpose. I just think we as theater makers now, if we're gonna do that kind of theater, we have to give it the some more. We got to give it a little more. We got to get a little peanut. We got to get a little caramel. A little nuggets. A little pretzel maybe. I just I just don't think. I think we've grown so much since this time as theater artists, but without him, much like the Beatles or, or any, you know, like Michael Jackson or like, sorry to bring him up, but like anybody that you can't delete from the art, you cannot delete Brecht from this art and still have theater as it is today. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. And that's where we're going to get into for the next two, the next two weeks. Um, Hey listeners, can I share one of my favorite lines real quick? Yeah. Yeah. So in the adaptation that means CJ read, uh, the Peter Mellencamp version, which Scott saw at Fools, there's a line that Eckhart says that is probably one of my favorite Breck lines is, uh, you can tell what God thought of the human race when he made the same organ you piss out of, the same organ you have sex with. Cute. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, Ouch. I like that line, but what does it mean? It means God's bullshit. Yeah, God doesn't fucking exist. Gotcha. Yeah, because I when I hear that line, I'm sort of I'm like searching for more. I yeah, I think interesting. I wish I had pulled out some lines that I like because there were some lines that hit me. It's also 1918 when like um like in. When like religion was so safe. I mean, I have other sure. lines that are great from that he took out, where he like talks about like um, this older older animal. He uses like a dinosaur, and he's like, when Noah built the ark, this dinosaur didn't want to go on because he said there's no way there's the world's gonna flood, so he didn't get on the ark, and the world flooded. And it's like this whole monologue just about this dinosaur not getting on because he didn't believe that the world could flood. The ichthyosaur. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's a great video actually of, of Bowie doing that monologue. That's the only thing I could find of, of Bowie, unfortunately. All right, listener, just so you know, we have been facing you this entire time saying all of these lines directly to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, because that's what we do. Um, okay, so uh, that's all we have for this week, though, right? Yeah. Is there anything else we need to do? We, we, we got a segment we do every week. 
Uh, and I, I think everybody might have things, so we should spitlet. LA Spotlight. Hey, does anybody have an LA Spotlight? A spotlight on LA theater. Trav, you got anything? Yeah, uh, this is coming out Sunday, right? Like it's, it is, yes. yeah. Cool. Uh, so opening this Friday uh, is Mass Graves at Loft Ensemble, directed by Matt Lorenzo, written by Chris Eli Black. Uh, is about a group of men in a halfway home, and yours truly is also the assistant director on it. Awesome. Word. Hell yeah. Word. Hell yeah. Uh, cool. That's at Loft Ensemble. Look that up and follow them on all the things. We'll put that in the in the bio too, because I know you're you do a lot of work there. Um, and we'll throw that in there. Siege, you got any spitlets? Um, I just wanted to make sure we punched out um Maddox's uh, workshop reading with Dan Lovato, who Scott and I just spoke to recently. There's a delightful artist spotlight coming up with them. Um, Ember's Born West with Mad Lab. It's on Sunday. October 2nd at noon, and I'm going to try really hard to be there. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Scott, you got anything? Uh, I do want to do a quick sort of theater-adjacent shout-out um, because uh, our friend uh, Jamie Andrews, former Sacred Fools member. Hi, um, Jamie. She has a film at the Lady Filmmakers Festival um, that's going on this weekend. Check it out uh, at ladyfilmmakers.com. Um, but I, I, strangely enough, just sheer coincidence, uh, Jamie Andrews was the producer and starred in that production of Ball that we did at Fools oh, wow. years ago. So just kind of Holy funny shit. that she... Uh, 2010, she I looked up when we did that. 2010 yeah, was 2010, Ball. 2010, yeah. People are still doing it fairly recently. Low-key, low if we didn't do Ball, that's one of the shows that made me want to come to Fools just because y'all did Ball, and I was a fan of it. So. I was, oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah, in a uh, way, Ball brought us together, Scott, CJ, and Bailey. <laughs> Doesn't Ball uh, always bring us together? Balls always do that for me. Can't say Balls. Cool, yeah. Go, come see Sanctuary City at the Pasadena Playhouse. It's still running for another few weeks, and it is actually phenomenal. Uh, I think you three would really love it. Yeah, I, I need to go. I'm really trying Please to... come see it. It's a yeah. three-person cast. Um, it's meant to be done with no set, but the playwright was involved, and they they have added a set that's pretty magical and pretty cool. Um, and it's about... Um, well, it's about a lot of things, but the basic idea is exactly what you think. It's about a person needing a sanctuary city. Um, and uh, check it out. It's... Yeah. It's really good. I don't know how I've to talk about yeah, it. No. Yeah, no. Um, there's a lot to it. Yeah, uh, but um, thank you all so much for joining us for part one of three of three penny. No, three podcast opera. Yeah? <laughs> you got yeah, it. Three, three podcast <laughs> opera. Um, join us next week for part two uh, and then part three after that. And then after that, we're also <gasps> going to be doing a new bonus and stuff episode. It's a Bailey pick. It is... The Wiz live. <laughs> Taking a hard right. Live. Another hard right. Another hard right. Yeah. The Wiz live, the NBC Wiz, um, which I have some cool contacts with. I know the Dorothy. Um, she was in Head Over Heels at the at the Playhouse. We had a moment. Cool. I'll tell that story later. <laughs> um, she hit on me. We'll get there. Um, it was great. I... We'll be we'll be covering that. Oh, I also want you all to go check out the artist spotlights that are dropping. We finished Maddox, um, uh, you know, a while back, so go check out that entire miniseries. But we have an artist spotlight of Maddox. We have an artist spotlight coming out of of Dan, the pastiche queen. We have artist spotlights coming out of all of our nominees uh, for the Theater Theater Playwright Award 2022. So check those out. They're all people that you just should be looking out for, whether you're in LA or not. Um, and after. 
the Wiz is what? Stoppard. Tom Stoppard. Stoppard. Stop. Yeah. Stoppard. Yeah. We're going to do it. That's going to be super fun. So we'll get into it. Let's close it out. Questions, comments, compliments. What are your feelings on ball? We want to hear it, y'all. You can reach out to us via email, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Scott. Thank you, CJ. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song, and our theme song is better than your theme song. Yeah, yeah, it's true. He also writes all of our stingers. He's an amazing human being. We love you, Ryan Thomas Johnson. Yeah. Uh, also, a big shout out to Pam Quinn, who wrote our Brecht-centric song, which you are about <laughs> to hear. Uh, Pam is a frequent contributor to the show. We love her. Thank you so much, Pam. And then finally, to the great Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Annie Baker, who writes every single one of our episodes. <gasps> Wait. What? What? Huh? Oh, never mind. I'll tell you afterwards. Yeah, tell oh. me after because it just feels like that was uh, uh. Like extraneous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, we love you. She writes every single one of our episodes and she doesn't even know it. And one day, Annie Baker, we are going to buy you a beer. That's right. A Hefeweizen. A Hefeweizen. Uh, we love you all so much. Uh, Trav, thank you so much for joining us. Trav, yes, so good to have you. Can't wait for next week. Can't wait for next week. Yeah, next week will be good. And, uh, we, I all have so much more to say, I'm sure. So that'll be awesome. Uh, and, uh, we love you guys. Subscribe, rate, review. Wow, wow. Do it. It was red and yellow and green and brown and scarlet and black and ochre and peach and ruby and olive and violet and fawn and lilac and gold and chocolate and mauve and cream and crimson and silver and rose and azure and lemon and russet and gray and purple and white and pink and orange and, orange and blue. Later, everybody.